beginning of this chapter, uh, the disciples, about 120 of them, had been waiting, as Jesus told them to, to wait for the promise, Holy Spirit, to come, uh, come on them with power so that they could be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they were waiting and praying, and on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and folks were hearing the good news of the gospel in their own language. People from all over the world who were there for the festival were hearing the good news of the gospel in their own language, and then Peter stood up and preached about Jesus to them. And so these verses we're reading are selections from that sermon and then a description of the result of what God was doing in their midst. Chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, and then 36 to 47. Hear the word of the Lord. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far, are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we, we come this morning in awe of what you've done, longing for you to do something similar to this among us. And yet, this is what we do every Sunday. We gather together. We pray. We expectantly wait um, to hear your word, to hear about Jesus, and we expectantly embrace him with the hope that you will again give us your spirit until we overflow with love for him, love for one another, and love for the next generation, and love for the nations. God, would you do that even this morning as we sit under your word? Would you do the work? It's, it's miraculous work. Would you do it in us, we ask, for Christ's sake. Amen. I've been thinking, as you have, I know a lot about our nation lately, and uh, it's heavy. I can't shake, I can't shake this. Our country is desperately needy right now. The needs are deep. So I've been asking myself, so what does our country need from the church right now? What does our country need from us? What our country needs from the church right now is for the church to be the church. What our country needs from you and from me right now is for followers of Jesus to follow Jesus. What our country needs from pastors right now is for preachers of the gospel to preach the gospel. In 18th century Great Britain, Pastor John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, as you know, Pastor John Newton and his congregation were like us. They were deeply disturbed and concerned about all that was wrong in their nation. Pastor Newton wrote letters to his Christian friends and to his congregation about this, and we have those letters today, which is a wonderful thing. And one of his biographers summed up Newton's message with these words, the greatest problem we face as a nation is our sin, and the only ultimate solution is Christ crucified. As a minister of the gospel, Newton did not want his people to forget that the root of a nation's problems is sin, and a nation's only hope is Christ. Friends, I am not responsible for what other pastors and other churches say or do. God called me to serve this church. And as your pastor, I stand with John Newton and I stand together with him with the Apostle Paul when I say, I want to know nothing among you but Christ 
in him, in him crucified. And this is what was on God's heart for the nation of Israel 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We know this because the Holy Spirit spoke through Peter the words we just read in Acts 2. And they were all about Christ crucified for the sins of people. And as I've wrestled with this passage, oh, I've wrestled with this passage this week, here's, here's the question that I believe was on the heart of Peter. It should be on the heart of every Christian, should be on the heart of our church, should be on the heart of this pastor. What are you going to do with Jesus? I worked for a youth pastor once who would say that to parents when they'd come into his office grieving and afraid, wanting uh, God to do something in their children, wondering how, how could he help. And he would ask this question with tenderness and care and a shepherd's heart. He would say, let me ask you, parent, if your child never, ever follows Jesus the way you long for him to, what are you going to do with Jesus? So I'm asking us, I'm asking myself, if all that is wrong with our nation gets worse and worse and worse and we lose everything we dreamed for this place to be, what are we going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do with him? If everything in your world falls apart, what are you going to do with Jesus? And I think my heart just wants us, Mountain Fellowship, to get back to, not that we've strayed from it, but we have to remind ourselves, let's get back to just being normal Christians. And being a normal church that does something with Jesus, <laughs> that Jesus wants us to do with him. What are we going to do with Jesus? Listen to what Peter said. This is the question he was asking them that morning. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He had to say this Jesus. He's the Jesus from Nazareth, the carpenter's son. This Jesus God has made both Lord and Christ, and you crucified him. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It pierced them. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's where that question comes from me. What are we going to do with this Jesus?
normal Christian do this with Jesus. They see him as God sees him. And they treasure him as God treasures him. God made him Lord in Christ. You crucified him. God made Jesus everything. And you think he's nothing. When was the last time you were cut to the heart? Because you realize that you don't see Jesus the way God does. When was the last time you were pierced in your soul because you think Jesus is nothing when God says he's everything? Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus is everything. He's Lord. He's Lord over all, over everything, no matter what it looks like. Jesus is everything. He is Christ. He's God in the flesh, crucified for sin, raised to life again for you, for me. He's everything. And yet, we live like he's nothing. We live like he's done nothing. We live like he's not in charge of anything. We live like he doesn't satisfy us. We live like we can find something else that will get the job done. When's the last time you were a normal Christian who is cut to the heart because you don't see Jesus the way God sees Jesus? And you don't treasure him like he needs to be treasured. When was the last time you were brokenhearted over how little you think of him and how little you think about him? To the point that you cried out, what am I going to do? How could I have forgotten you, Jesus? How could I have been so cold to your love for me? How could I have ignored you? How could I have treated my Lord and my Christ like a common piece of trash that has no place in my heart, no place in my life? Oh God, what am I going to do? What should I do? Peter says, repent. and Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, because when normal Christians see Jesus as he is, truly is, and they're cut to the heart that they don't think he's everything, they think he's nothing, they're quickened and they say, what do I do? Normal Christians turn away from that mentality and they turn to Christ and they trust everything that God is in Jesus for them. They repent. They believe the good news that Jesus came to forgive their sins, even the sin of treating him like he's nothing. And they follow him. They identify with him. That's what baptism in the name of Jesus is, was an identity marker. It was an invisible tattoo that says, I belong to this tribe, the tribe of Jesus. So I want to ask us, I want to ask you, when was the last time you repented? 
When's the last time you had a conversation with God in which you turned from the bitterness of trusting yourself and tasted again the sweet forgiveness that Jesus died and rose again to give to you? When's the last time you repented? Okay, Jimmy, what does that mean? I think Jack Miller describes it beautifully. He says that, Repentance doesn't just see sin and feel half guilty over it and stew over it. Repentance turns from it. Repentance means you've come to a place where you finally admit that living in your sin is insanity, he says. That you've been going away from God, not toward him. Repentance is a return to sanity, an awakening to your desperate need for God's mercy. When was the last time you were awakened to your desperate need for God's mercy? You know, 500 years ago, Martin Luther said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. My entire life is supposed to be one of repentance, and I can count on my hand the number of times I've repented in the last few months? No, Jack Miller says, the normal Christian comes to God asking him to show you the truth about your rebellious heart, allowing God to make you sane through and through, trusting that God is able to wash you and make you whiter than snow. Don't underestimate the power and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus cleanses from the deepest sin. No matter what you've done, you can have the confidence that God blots out your sin for the sake of Christ. And if it sounds, that sounds dull and dry and boring, it's because we don't know what sin is. We don't know how amazing it is that he would cleanse and blot out all of that stuff in us that says he's not everything. He's something I keep on the side, but he's not everything. You can admit the very worst about yourself and turn from it because of Jesus. When was the last time you repented like this? Does it break your heart that you break his? Why has it been so long? Friends, what our nation needs is for us to be normal Christians, who see Jesus for who he really is, the Lord of all, the the promised Messiah who came to live the life we were supposed to live, to die the death we deserve to die, but whom God raised to life, as Peter said. Our nation needs us to turn from ourselves and all of our substitute gods and embrace this Jesus with all of our heart, mind, and strength. And then look what Peter says God gives to those who will do this, who will live this normal Christian life. He says, if you do this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Luke, writing Acts, is going to go on to describe what the Spirit will do in us. He's going to describe what the Spirit does to make us a normal church. 
Verse 42, and they were devoting themselves. They were devoting themselves. That means they were continuing to persist in what? The apostles' teaching and the fellowship in the breaking of the bread, in the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's what the Spirit does when normal Christians embrace Jesus. (laughs) He turns them into a normal church who persist in those things. I... I have married over 25 couples to each other. And I can tell you without fail, it is so much fun to watch these people who are in love. (laughs) They they come together and they're just smitten with each other. They're captivated with each other. And it makes them do the strangest thing. It makes them forsake all others. It makes them stop dating around. It makes them want to learn everything they can learn about this person. It makes them listen for hours to a person who may be talking about things you're not necessarily interested in, but because you're captivated with them, you're captivated with what they have to say. It makes them... uh, sit down with a pastor and talk about what it would mean to to love and live together and to read the books he tells them to read. It it makes them do crazy things. It makes them linger long over a meal and just look into each other's eyes. It makes them sacrifice for each other, serve one another, bring them breakfast in bed, be captivated with someone you love and who loves you make you do the craziest things. And that's what's happening here. Normal Christians who are captivated with Jesus and his love for them reorder and reorient their entire lives around him and around a new set of practices. The apostles' teaching. They persist in the apostles' teaching. Why? Because everything the apostles had been taught by Jesus over the last three years and then the last 40 days that he spent teaching them about the kingdom of God, everything they'd been taught by Jesus about the whole, how the whole Old Testament pointed to, him, pointed to him and everything the apostles taught in their gospels and in their letters that we have now, all of that teaching gives us a clearer, richer, deeper, sweeter understanding and communion with Jesus, the one that we've learned now is everything. That's why they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, because they want Jesus. What are we going to do with Jesus? We're going to learn him in his word. The fellowship, that word fellowship, it means a participation in what's common together, It's life together. They devoted themselves to this life together. They gathered together with others who were captivated by Jesus and gripped by his life and love. C.S. Lewis um, said that friendships 
help us to know one another through one another. So when Doug and my friend Damon and I have breakfast on Tuesdays, there's three of us there. But I know Doug better because of how he interacts with Damon. And Damon knows me better because of how I interact with Doug. You see, we learn each other better because we come together. And it's true for those of us who are in fellowship with one another around Jesus. We all come to know Jesus better as we see him in each other, as we learn him from each other. This is why Paul said in Colossians 3, Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. What are we going to do with Jesus? We're going to know him in our fellowship with one another. Because we're captivated by him. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. This is a reference to the Lord's Supper. And it represents for us worship, what we're doing this morning. In worship, we come together to meet with Jesus because he promises to meet with us and to commune with us. That's why we call it communion. We want to linger long over the table and see him gaze into our eyes and us into his and know his love for us. This is why this church does this every week. Because in worship, we hear the good news preached and we see and smell, and taste, and touch the good news pictured in the table and in baptism. What are we going to do with Jesus? We're going to commune with him together in our worship. And They were devoted to the prayers. In prayer, we communicate with our Father in heaven, who is our brother Jesus's Father in heaven. And so like Jesus and with Jesus and through Jesus, we express to the Father all that we desire and we ask him, please align our desires with your desire. We cry like Jesus and with Jesus and through Jesus, Abba, Father, we want to know you. We want to know your love for us. We want to know your heart. What are we going to do with Jesus? We're going to join him in prayer with his father. And then they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were serving one another in love. And we saw last fall that Paul told us in Philippians that we come to know Jesus and we become like Jesus in his suffering as we serve like him. Service itself is a way to get to know Jesus because you get to know what it's like to be a suffering servant. Considering others more significant than ourselves, emptying ourselves like he did for their sake. What are we going to do with Jesus? We're going to know him and become like him in our suffering service with him. That these are all the things that the Spirit does in normal Christians to make them a normal church. These are all things that the Spirit does, and that's why we have these five things listed on our bulletin. The Word, worship, fellowship, prayer, 
service. Because we want the Spirit to produce those things in us, those practices in us. We want to be a normal church. But they're not only the fruit of what the Spirit does in us, they are also something that Jesus has commanded us to do so that we could continue to know Him and love Him and embrace Him. Jesus told us to abide in His Word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, he said. Jesus told us to have fellowship with one another. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. Jesus told us to celebrate the Lord's Supper together in worship. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And Paul said, for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the good news that Jesus loves sinners. Every time we share this meal together, we commune with him. Because he told us to. Because he knows we need him. And we pray because Jesus taught us to pray. Pray like this, he says. When you pray, he says. And we serve because Jesus told us to serve. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus told us to do these things because he knew that we needed to continue to be captivated with him. We need, to, we need to continue to be captivated with Jesus. And so these are the ways, these are the means by which we get captivated with him. These are the means by which we see him for who he is and embrace him and embrace all that he's done because he loves us. I had a conversation with a friend this week, and he said the funniest thing to me. He said, he said, my wife pinched me the other day. Well, okay. And I asked her why she pinched me, and she said, I'm just making sure you're real. And I said, what, what was that about? What, what does she mean? And he reminded me of the story that I knew that over the last two and a half to three years, God has done an amazing shift in his work, in his life, in his heart. Um, he, he's not the same guy today that he was three years ago. And that's what his wife was saying. I'm, I'm just kind of pinching you to see if, if you're real. <laughs> Is this really what God has done? She had noticed changes in him. A cycle of addiction had been broken, and now he was pursuing Jesus. He, he wanted to know Jesus. He joined a church. He's faithful in weekly worship. He serves with his hands with other men in the church. He joined a men's group to read the Bible and to pray and to share life's struggles. And, and he said, he told me, all of those things I wanted to do, but they also keep me, keep me wanting Jesus more. 
They keep him captivated with the one who changed him. And I sat down with both of them and I asked, so when did this start? What happened? He explained that the Lord had spoken through his wife to him, calling him to be the man and the husband that God had called him to be. He, he had believed Jesus for a long time. But he wasn't living in that calling. And then at an event through the ministry of a Christian singer-songwriter, uh, God called him out of that addiction. And in a day, he dropped it all. And I thought, whew, that's hard. <laughs> and he said, he stopped drinking, he stopped smoking, he stopped drugs. And every time he felt a need for them, he prayed. <laughs> and then he said, I was praying a lot. Praying in the truck, praying at work, praying just... And what he was doing was he was repenting. He was turning from his dependence on something else and placing his dependence on Christ, who is everything. He was turning away from saying, Jesus, I talk about you, but you're really nothing. And he was turning and saying, no, you're everything. And I need you. And I'm going to pursue you in your word, in fellowship with your people, in worship, in service with your people, in prayer. I'm coming after you, Jesus, because I'm captivated by you. Friends, this is my prayer for Mountain Fellowship. That we would be so normal. Such a normal church full of normal Christians. That the people of Signal Mountain will want to come up and pinch us and ask us if we're real. Father, would you do that in us? Um, and let it start with the question, what are we going to do with Jesus? No matter what's going on out here, what are we going to do with you, Jesus? By your spirit, Jesus, help us to, to treasure you the way your father treasures you. To believe that you're everything and stop treating you like you're nothing. And to turn to you to your life and your death and your resurrection for us and say, I need your forgiveness. I repent. Break my heart. Renew me. The renewal of all things starts with me, God. And then let us together, together as a family of followers of Jesus, pursue him in the word. Pursue him in worship. Pursue him in our fellowship. Pursue him in prayer. Pursue him in service and be captivated by him. That's our prayer. Do it for your glory and our gladness and the world's good, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.